Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. My name is Matt. I'm joining on being the campus pastor here. Well, we are in week two of our series, Asking for a Friend. Uh, if you missed last week, really what we're doing is uh, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of things that we all deal with that don't often get dealt with. We're asking some questions that maybe you would feel uncomfortable to ask, and so you ask them for a friend, right? Like I, I was at a bike shop recently and a part broke and I didn't know what the part was and I felt too dumb to say that it was on my bike. So I was, I was writing this series and I was literally thinking, oh, I could just tell him it was my friend's bike and he didn't tell me what the part was. And I could sound, you know, like, and I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm asking for a friend, all right? So I just owned up to the fact that I'm brand new to the sport and he just chuckled at me and then we moved on. But sometimes in faith, the weight behind these questions can be a little bit bigger than a bike shop. And so what we asked last week, really the question was, uh, how far gone is too far gone? Like how, how far do you have to go in screwing up your life before God says, all right, I'm done with you. Get out of here. And the answer to the question was, you can't. You cannot outrun the grace of Jesus, provided we would stop, return from our sin, that the arms of the Father are open for all of us. And maybe as you heard last week, you said, okay, that's cool, but I still have more questions. Well, good. There's a bunch more weeks to the series. And if you have some friends who probably have some questions about faith, there's some invitations on the seat there. We would encourage you to grab those, uh, hand them to a friend and say, hey, I have questions. I'm sure you have questions. Um, we'd love for you to join us. But here's the question for this week. Can you follow God and still have doubts? Our friend asked the question, can you have a genuine walk of faith? Can you pursue the Lord and still not feel like you have all the answers? I think at times there can be this temptation within the Christian walk uh, that, that you show up to church or you show up to your Christian friends and you just pretend. You just act like everything's good and, and you understand everything the Bible says and you don't have anything that haunts you at night as you think about, as you consider faith, you go, nope, I got it all, I don't, I don't really wrestle with anything, but in the quietness of your heart, when no one else is around, there are these looming questions. There are questions like, how could God allow that to happen? If God was really big and powerful, if you really saw everything why didn't he stop this? And these questions are valid questions because the life you live and the life I live isn't picture perfect. We, we live in reality, and that reality is a broken world destructed by sin. And so we feel pain, and it creates this conflict in our heart at times of what do we do when we see what God says, we feel what life feels like, how do we reconcile the two? As you navigate your own faith journey, I'm sure that uh, some of you might be here doubting the entire thing. You might be just listening in saying, I don't know what I believe about God or, or Christ or anything. And you say, I'm just here to ask some questions. Great. We are so glad you are here. This is a safe place for your questions. Maybe some of you are here and you've been in the faith for a little bit. But to be honest, there's some things you don't know. And there's some things that you don't want to ask. And the weird thing about doubt in church um, is that sometimes you can be afraid to ask them because you don't want to be judged, right? Like you feel like you should already know the answer to this question about faith and you don't yet. And, and I think it sometimes we're afraid to admit to God that we're doubting him. It feels wrong to tell God we don't trust him. But the truth is God already knows. The only thing we're really afraid of is admitting it and so what I want to invite all of you to do this morning is as you sit here and as you listen to the story that we're going to read through, that you would really be honest with yourself, that you would really dig into your faith, you would dig into the things that you've been told, that you would dig into scriptures and you begin to say, do I believe with full confidence 
things that I read? Do I fully understand? If not, what am I going to do? Where am I going to position myself with that doubt? Because doubt does not have to drive you from God. And in fact, as you're going to read in the story and as you can see in life in general, doubt actually may drive you to a deeper relationship with the Lord. We're going to look uh, at a story of a man who really was considered the father of faith. His name was uh, Abraham. At first, it was Abram. Um, God renamed him to Abraham, so we're just going to call him Abraham for today's purposes. But, but Abraham was the father of faith. Like when you think of the guy who, who really trusted God and believed him, your mind usually jumps to uh, Abraham if you've gone through the scriptures. And that was because when God started the ancient nation of Israel, which is what uh, Jesus was born through to how we have Christianity now, he started it through the man Abraham. Abraham was not a follower of God at the time when, when God found him and he said, he revealed himself to uh, Abraham. Uh, God told him who he was and said, I have some promises for you. Well, he promised Abraham three big things. And when he did it, he was the ripe young age of 75. And here's the promises that he gave to Abraham. He promised him that he would go from the land he was in, he would move to a new land, and that God would give him this incredible land that was full of riches, wealth, and it would just be incredible. The next promise was a promise of descendants, that this man and his wife would have more descendants than the stars in the sky, that there would just be uh, such a richness of life. And for them, uh, maybe you think like, man, one kid, I'm good. Don't promise me more than one kid because that's my lifestyle. For them, many children was a huge blessing. It meant God's favor was on you. So they longed to really build a huge generational uh, kind of continuum after them. And the last one was that there was the son that there was going to come to them that was going to give them blessing and redemption, that he was really going to give them just such blessing in their life in particular. But here's the problem. He never told him where he was going or the land he was supposed to go to. At this point, they have no children. And this promise comes to a man who is 75 with a barren wife. And so for, for Abraham, as you hear this, you have to imagine him for a second. He has no idea who God is. There's no church. He's never been around church. There's no Bible. None of that exists. This God reveals himself to him and says, I am uh, the God you need to follow. And in fact, here's a ridiculous promise that you're never going to believe. <laughs> you're old. Here's a baby. It's coming for you. And the crazy thing is, he believes. Later, thousands of years later, the author of Hebrews is going to write talking about how Abraham and his wife Sarah responded to this promise. I want to read this because I think it's really interesting. We're going to be just a little bit in Hebrews. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis. But I want to read you the account that is recorded of Abraham and Sarah. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in the foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God, referring to heaven. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. And so you, you read this story and you think, oh, this is so wonderful. 
Right? Like this was such a great promise, and, and they were such full of faith, they were so full of faith, and God said it, and they just packed up all their belongings and said, Here we go, and yay, happily live ever after. It's the great ending of a Hallmark movie. And as you read this, you have to ask the question: is that really how the story went? Because the truth is, this is actually a very clean and sanitized version of the real story. It's the kind of story you're tempted to tell about your life. As you walk in and you begin to talk about your past, or you're in small group and you begin to share your wrestles and you begin to share your doubts, it's tempting to tell the Hebrews 11 version of the story, which was, I'm good, God is good, all is good all the time. But reality behind Hebrews 11 is that for all of us, there's the real story. There's the honest story that is full of twists and turns and doubt and disappointment and wrestle and waiting and pain. And so I want you to turn with me back to Genesis. If you have your Bibles with me, I'll go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter, um, starting chapter 12 here. And I, and I want you to see clearly the reality of the story. And what I think we'll find as you uh, kind of read through this narrative is that you'll find perhaps yourself in a bit of this story. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse Four. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his brother, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So you see, uh, Abraham really does respond with incredible faith. He says, okay, this God who revealed uh, yourself to me, I'm going to follow you. So he packs up his stuff. He packs up his things. He has no idea where he's going. He gets up and just walks out of the country and begins to follow God. Incredible faith in this man. The problem is the thing he really wanted most wasn't the land or the property. It was the son. And that really is what the story is going to centralize around. Jump to chapter 15 with me. Now, it's easy to miss some of this, but the gap between chapter 12 and chapter 15 is actually 10 years. So he's gone to the new land. 10 years later, after the promise, they are still waiting for this son. Now, you've got to give Abraham a little bit of a slack here. When was the last time you waited patiently for 10 minutes at the line in the grocery store? All right? I've said it before, but I bet you a bunch of you have like .003 left on your microwave because you couldn't even wait for the microwave to finish because that's the type of instant generation we live in because 60 seconds is too long to warm up your coffee. 57 is fine enough, right? And so as you listen to this, man, I want you to consider 10 years of your life waiting, holding on to a promise that God had given Abraham begins to show some cracks in his faith 10 years in. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, who was a foreigner that was uh, with him. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so the servant in my household will be my heir. There's a couple of really interesting things happening in here. He, you see this genuine wrestle. He says, I want to believe you, God, because he calls him sovereign Lord, which indicates he knows that God knows all things and is in control of all things. But he's saying, I have to be honest with my doubt, God. I know you're in control, but this just doesn't make sense to me. As I look at what you said and I look at what you claim to be and I look at my reality, they don't seem to match. Would you, God, reconcile my doubts? And that, I would say, is the healthiest response you can ever have with one of your doubts. Things that you're wrestling with, things that you're wondering about. He says, okay, 
Uh, you promised it. Could you make sense of this for me? It drives him to God. He got here, though, really, because the circumstances that were surrounding him outweighed his current faith. The circumstances of his life outweighed his current faith. As you consider your life, maybe you have a level of faith to believe God for salvation. And you have. But to believe God beyond that, it just, it's hard. Because you lost somebody you really cared about. And somebody that was really close to you walked away and, and there was pain from people who shouldn't have caused you pain and the circumstances of your life make you question the goodness of God. They make you question his sovereignty because if he really was good, he would have never let that happen. His faith wasn't ready for the difficulty and trials that were in front of him. But I want you to see is how God responded to Abraham. Verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, referring to the foreigner, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the stars in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham count, or believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. There's this incredible moment where he's, he's honest with his doubts. He doesn't stuff them. And God says, okay, I'll meet you in your doubts. And he begins to reiterate and reaffirm the promise to him. And it says, and I love that phrase in there, it was credited to him as righteousness. Which means it was credited to him as living rightly. Which means the right thing for Abraham to do with his doubt was to come back to God and be honest about it. It was given to him as a credit in his savings account, if you will, because he did with his doubt what he was supposed to. The story continues on into chapter 16. Because years went by, and they had a hard time believing. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through here. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. There's this tragic moment where they once drove to God with their doubts and they drove to God with their difficulties. They became weary. Years had passed. It was an, another 11 years after that. And they just decided to do what many of us have decided to do with our doubts. God won't be God. I'll be God for him. If God won't do what he's supposed to do, I'll take matters into my own hand. And so they said, fine, if God's not going to give us this child, we're going to give ourselves this child. And she says something really interesting in here. She begins to blame God. God has given me no children, right? The Lord has kept me from having children. And then she says, go sleep with my slave. And I want you to catch this phrase right here. She says, perhaps I can build a family through her. See, before, his doubts drove him to God. Now, his doubts are causing him to, to remove God from the equation. You see, your doubts are only dangerous when it takes God out of the equation. The things you wrestle with, the things you feel about, are only dangerous to you. It's not dangerous to feel them. It is only dangerous to you when you begin to find a way around them without God. Because for Abraham and Sarah, this messed their life up big time. 
It caused strife in their marriage. It caused strife in their family. Uh, She ended up hating Hagar uh, deeply inside of her. It it caused a ripple for generations and generations. It became dangerous. Why? Because they, they wanted to get around the roadblock where God wanted them to wait. You ever been in traffic? And you're like stuck looking at traffic, and you're convinced that that 17 side street route is actually faster. Right? I did this the other day. I was trying to go up 706, and I was a little bit late to work, and I saw a line of traffic at the bottom of 706, and I was like, surely I can go straight up this road through the dirt road. Y'all know what I'm talking about because most of you have done it. And I was like, I'm gonna get in front of this tractor trailer, and I'm gonna get there. I literally pulled to the stop sign as the tractor trailer passed me. Now, not only do I have to wait for the tractor trailer I was behind, I have to wait for the 30 cars that are now behind the tractor trailer, and I was late to work that day, all right? Inconsequential to what happens. When all of a sudden you don't like the answer God gives you, when you don't like the timeline God puts you on, we can begin to say, I can for myself find a way around the ways of God that are good and right. And it always leads to difficulty in our life. Here's what I want you to see. God is not afraid of our doubt, but we are just often afraid to admit our doubt to God and others. God's not afraid of it. He's not worried that you might shake him off his eternal pedestal. He's not worried that you might outsmart him. He's not worried that you might find a hole in his eternal plan. We can't. The problem is, I'm afraid to admit that sometimes. Maybe you are afraid to admit that sometimes. We could drop that fear. We may actually find a lot of hope in our journey. At this point, Abraham is now uh, 99 years old waiting on the promises of God. Let's turn to chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Isn't that interesting? Let me just park right here. They failed. They screwed up. They messed their life up. They disobeyed God. He hasn't given up on them. Abraham, verse 17, fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. This is the first roll on the floor laughing moment in the Bible, right? He hears the the promise of God, and he's so bent over with laughter and mockery at God, he just begins to laugh out loud and say to himself, God, what a joke. Which, if you listen to people who wrestle with their their faith, is where they go. Sometimes we get into impasses that are so difficult or hurts that are so real that expectations that were unmet of God because he didn't heal somebody, he didn't do what we thought he was supposed to do, that we just begin to mock the faith. Maybe you hear people say, oh, that thing's a joke. It's just a crutch. What what I've discovered after years in ministry is it's really just a deep, deep, deep hurt. It's a defense mechanism. It's an unmet expectation somewhere. And you see this in Abraham just saying, God, this is a joke. I'm 99. She's real old. This is never going to happen, right? Like, feel it. This is reality. What I love that's how God responds. Verse 19, then God said, yes. It's so crucial. He says, Abraham, I see it. I feel it. I know how ridiculous this sounds, but. 
Your wife, Sarah, will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant, and his descendants after him. Jump to verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. 25 years of waiting, and God says, Abraham, don't worry. It's coming next year. What I hope you see as you go through this whole story, and there's, there's a bunch more in here I'd encourage you to read on your own, is that every time he doubts, God is near. See, God is not distant from you in your doubts. God, God is not far off. So often we perceive God's silence as an indicator of his proximity. We think, well, God's quiet on the issue. He must not be here. He must not be close. God was silent on things for years. Ten years in, he encourages him. Another 11 years later, he begins to offer encouragement. Year 25, he offers encouragement. Could you hang on to a promise for 25 years? Well, you could if you believe God never left you in those 25 years. If you believed he was close to you. If you believed you haven't disqualified because it is not based on your righteousness, it is based on his. And then this beautiful thing happens in verse chapter 21. Let's jump there to verse 21. Hang on just a second. Chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. Would you look at 25 years of waiting, 25 years of pain, 25 years of heartache, and call that graciousness? Well, it is if we sit in the position that God doesn't owe us anything. If we live our life from a position that God owes us something, this will not feel like graciousness. But I think the real gift here, though in part it was the son, I think the real gift was actually what the waiting produced in them. The waiting and the difficulty forced them to draw near to God. It forced them to walk in a relationship with God that was much deeper. Could you imagine how different the story would read if the first moment God shows up to Abraham, he says, hey, you're going to a new land, and as soon as you get there, you're going to have a baby, you're going to have a white picket fence, everything's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, and you're going to do the best thing the world has ever seen. How different would that story be? How easy would it be to begin to negate God, to just uh, credit human power and wisdom that it was a good investment, it was a good this, it was... No. The waiting made it. The difficulty made it so that only God could get the credit, the glory, and the praise for it. Now, as you hear that version of the story, and you consider the story we read in Hebrews, it makes you ask the question, why the difference? Why is one so clean and sanitized and one's really brutal and honest? I don't think the author in Hebrews was being dishonest, but I think he was reflecting on something that was really important for us this morning, and it was this, that ultimately... Their faith outweighed their doubts. In the end, in the long run, though they wrestled, though they struggled, though they didn't have all the answers, in the end, they never left God. In the end, they never left pursuing understanding. In the end, they never ultimately said, forget this, I'm done. And this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but the means to push through it. The faith God has given you, the faith you are praying for, the, the faith you need, it does not mean you're foolproof from doubt. It is the very propellant you need to continue on your faith journey. 
Faith says, this makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. I don't know why God has made me wait. This logically doesn't connect with me, but I choose to believe in the God who sees everything, though I don't yet see it. And that's actually how Hebrews chapter 11 that we read earlier starts. Throw it up here. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what Abraham and Sarah were commended for. Not that they were perfect, not that they never had questions, but they never gave up in their questions. I want to share a video with you this morning of somebody who might really surprise you that they deeply wrestled with doubt. It's actually Pastor Bob, uh, the campus pastor of our Montrose campus. Let's listen. I asked God to forgive me and made Jesus my Lord and Master as a, as a child. But when I was about 20 years old, I thought, you know, there's billions of people on earth and most were taught and believed something totally different than what I was taught to believe. What are the chances I was taught the truth? And some quick math, it was clear that there was a low probability that what I believed was true. And so I began to look into what others believed. I read the Bhagavad Gita, researched Shintoism, Hinduism, Buddhism. I got a free copy of the Book of Mormon, researched Islam, and got an English copy of the Quran. None of them were backed up historically like the Bible was. Certain forms of Eastern religions actually rejected logic and physical reality entirely. They just didn't stack up intellectually like ancient Christianity and the Bible do. But the religion or belief system that was actually most attractive to me was agnosticism and atheism. Agnosticism is um, believing that we're not sure God exists, and atheism is, of course, that there is no God. And, and that's actually what I wanted to believe because it meant I could live however I wanted. And I wanted intellectual permission to be free to live, especially sexually, how I desired. Agnosticism and atheism gave me that permission. But it was so irrational because, you know, to believe such incredibly complex systems of life could arise by chance, that something could come out of nothing. I mean, in the end, I just didn't have the faith to be an atheist. I wanted to, I, I just didn't have that much faith. So I, I chose the belief system that required the least amount of faith, had the most scientific, historical, logical evidence for it, and that was Christianity. And you know that sexual freedom that I, as a young man, so desired to have permission to pursue? I've since found out that that was slavery, addiction, a trap that has ruined the lives of millions of men and women, including many of my friends. So I'm here to tell you, doubt is good. The truth is not afraid of being questioned. And in fact, I wish I would have reached out to someone because all those questionings, I kept that to myself. I didn't talk to anybody and I wish I had because faith that has not been questioned and challenged is a blind faith, weak faith, and foolish faith. And asking questions is a good thing. The problem with most people who don't believe the Bible is not that they ask too many questions. It's that they've stopped asking questions and stopped looking for answers, especially in places they don't want to find them. As you consider Bob's story and as you consider Abraham and Sarah's story, I often think about Abraham and Sarah, what would it be like if they had given into their doubts? 
What would it be like if they stopped pursuing the Lord? Because maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this. We stand here today, believers in Christianity, as a result of Abraham and Sarah's faith. Jesus came through Abraham and Sarah. We have come to Christ because of Jesus. As you consider even Bob's story, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but Pastor Bob kind of launched and founded Bridgewater, where I would say we're here in part because of the ministry of Bob Kidlesek. What would happen if at 20, Bob stopped asking questions? How many people, I can't even count, I didn't ask Bob this, but how many people has Bob been able to introduce to a life-giving relationship in Jesus? How many marriages has Bob come alongside that he would have missed if he stopped asking questions? You see, the real hanger, the real thing that we should hang our faith on is not some promise that God may have given us here or there, because the promise of the son Isaac to Abraham and Sarah was really just a foreshadow. It was a picture of a promised son the world was really all waiting for. Ever since sin entered the world and broke and fractured a relationship with God, Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise of a son that was going to come and bring blessing and redemption. You see this echoed in Isaac. But really what he's talking about is this long-awaited son, Jesus, that the world waited for thousands of years to meet the son that the world waited for rescue finally came that promised son answers every one of your doubts do you know how because when you look at the cross of jesus any question about whether god sees you cares about you or knows you is answered at the cross Where was God? God was at the cross. Why didn't God? God was at the cross. What is God going to do about? God paid for it at the cross. The brokenness, the sin, the heartache, the loss, the death. God already moved to tell you and to tell me he sees you, he cares about you, and he has moved to action on your behalf. And so in the interim, when you struggle, in the middle when you wait, would your doubts drive you to the foot of the cross? Would your doubts drive you to a relationship connected to Jesus where it says, Jesus, this doesn't make sense, but I know who you are and I know what you did at the cross. I choose to believe you, though I cannot see it. And one day I will. And I'll rejoice with you then. But for now, would you give me faith? Help my unbelief. If you're here today and and you have some wrestles about your faith, here's a couple things I would have for you. Get in a small group. Get in around people who are safe. Sometimes it's hard to ask these questions in big environments. Get in somebody's living room and say, I don't understand this. Be humble enough to say, would somebody help me? Would you uh, walk in community with people who are going to know you, love you, and help you carry those things and not be silent with it? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus because there's been some things getting in the way. Would you not settle to not have answers? Would you chase those answers? Would you pursue them to their logical end? If you want to have a conversation with somebody about that, we would love to help you with it. To all of us, I would say this. Would you be honest in your relationship with Jesus at every step and find him ever faithful so that what is said of you in 100 years when you read back on your life is not the ups and downs and that life got hard and you walked away. What would be said of you is that through great trial and difficulty, they were a person of great faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. and To be honest, God, we just admit our limited knowledge. 
We admit and confess this morning that we are not God, and when we try to play uh, your role, we just mess things up. God, there's, there's questions that we want answers to, and there's, there's difficulties that we deal with. And I thank you that your word has many, many of those answers. I thank you that your community uh, offers insight for people who have walked this path before, God. And I pray that anyone in here struggling to believe your goodness, struggling to believe you, would today find the courage to take a step of faith. Lord, I pray that you would fill us all, that as we consider the trials and difficulties in front of us, we would see that they are producing in us a deeper walk with you, which is the greatest gift we could ever receive. We pray these things in Jesus' name.